then you'll be free indeed. And so we want to join into that and lean into that, that whole idea. And we believe that it sometimes change in our life starts when we say, I've had enough and I want to bring something into the light. And so that's what the group is all about. If you have a Bible there, an iOS device, I'd invite you to join with me and, and just look at uh, a particular uh, passage that we're going to be exploring today. Um, for those of you who may be joining us for the first time today in this first portion of the year, we're looking at a particular book of the Bible um, titled John. John was a disciple uh, of Jesus and he's recording near the, the end of his life events and sequences and conversations that Jesus had. And so what we're inviting you to do with this theme of an open hand to God and to others is to watch Jesus and, and look at how he opens his hands to other people and uh, opens his hand to God and how he therefore opens his hand to others. And sometimes the emphasis is upon how he opens his hand to those around him, but the, also the emphasis is how do you open your hand to God? And so that's what we're going to be diving into. So as you're finding your way there, John chapter 3, 1 to 16, I was on an aeroplane flight a number of years ago. And just a heads up, this does not typically happen when I jump on an aeroplane these days. I like to kind of have some time to myself. But I happen to be sitting between two, two ladies, a little bit older than me at the time. And uh, we got talking, I got talking to the lady on my right about um, God, life and spirituality. And I asked her what she did. She asked me what I did. And the conversation turned during the plane fight to talk about how does someone begin with God? <laughs> and uh, so as we were talking about that, I said, you know, most Australians, I think, have the idea that they begin with God, if there is a God, that they need to do certain things in order to please him or in order to be welcomed into his life. I said, so there's a number of people who their, their reflex response is to say, I need to do more good things than bad things to outweigh those bad things. And therefore, I'll make myself okay before God. And if I do the religious activity, um, then I'll kind of make my way to him. So the only problem with that is that it leaves you with this nagging question of how good is good enough? Like, when do I know I've done enough good things to outweigh the bad things? How do I know if I've done enough things to be pleasing to God? I said, when Jesus came and lived on earth, he talked about it in a different way. He, he said, the greatest call on your life as a human being is to come to love the creator God with all of your heart, mind, and your soul. And out of your experience of your love for him will flow in out and through you a love towards other people. So I said, really, when Jesus spoke about it, he didn't talk about it as far as religious uh, activities. He talked about it as starting with a relationship with the God who loves you and knows you. The question is where to begin. <laughs> and then it was at this moment, the lady on my left turned and piped up. And I went, oh, how about that? Uh, there's a clandestine Christian sitting next to me who's going to give us the answer. Right? And then she turned and she goes, I, I know what the answer is to that. And, I, and we both looked at her and said, okay, well, what's the answer? She said, words to the effect of from what I can remember, you just need to be the best version of yourself and just continue to kind of do the best you can. Which was kind of, in my mind, taking me back to the first question that I had is, well, then how good is good enough? So in the moment and the time that we have with you today and just setting it up for this morning, John chapter 3, I want to answer two questions. How do you begin with God? And then if you have someone who's already begun with God over a lifetime... And your lifetime has got more complex. How do you remain with God? Can we do that today? 
How does someone begin with God? And how does someone remain with God? And it starts with a conversation that Jesus had with a man named Nicodemus. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. Pause there for a moment. A Pharisee was part of a religious group, a self-appointed religious group, that were, bear, uh, that were bringing about and exerting their own pressure upon the, the, religi- or the, 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 the community in which they inhabited in, in order to respond to a perceived threat. They were occupied by Rome. The, the world at that time was becoming Greek. And all of the other Greek and Roman gods and goddesses were becoming part of the, the landscape. And so the Pharisees were a self-appointed pressure group that tried to resist the creep so that they wouldn't just become like everyone else. So it was a good motive. And so what they did in order to distinguish themselves and separate themselves from the fear of just becoming like everyone else is that they increased two things. Firstly, it had to do with their symbolic gestures around hand washing. They thought to themselves... Whilst a way in which we can differentiate ourselves from the wider community, from that polluted Roman, Greco-Roman world, was to increase hand-washing. It was a sign of saying, we are not you. And other things too. The second thing that they did is that they increased, if you'd like, their, their sense of wanting to obey the Torah. And particularly around things like keeping of Sabbath. Again, it was another way in which they could actually differentiate themselves from the world around about and say, this is something that we practice. And so they intensified these activities in order to distinguish and separate themselves from those around. If you like, it had a good motive behind it, not always necessarily a bad one. They weren't trying to earn their way to God, but as good Jewish boys and girls, they were wanting to express their devotion to him. And so you could understand how these things would occur. And so this man by the name of Nicodemus comes to Jesus. And it says, after dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. That's interesting. Jesus had been called the person who brings light. So here's someone who's coming from the darkness to see the light. And he says to him, Rabbi, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. They understood that Jesus was doing some pretty miraculous things. Miracles don't make faith. They might motivate it, but they don't always either sustain it either. And so Nicodemus was coming to Jesus curious and open, not with a finger pointing or a finger wagging, but wondering, what is this about? Because undeniably, they could see the activity of God active and at work in him and through him. Well, Jesus replied really curiously, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God was a really catch-all phrase for the idea that God was going to become king at one stage in the future. The ancient prophets, the Israelite prophets had declared that in a certain time in the future, there would be an inbreaking of God into this inhabited world and that he would establish his kingdom probably in the temple in Jerusalem, maybe through a king, and that if he would cast out all of the evil and oppression and injustice in the world and that he would bring about his peace and his life 
and his goodness. And that anyone who had been wanting to be part of that kingdom were welcome and those who had been working against it would be dispelled. They were longing for the moment and the time in which God would become king here on earth, just as it is in heaven. And some of them actually looked back to passages like Isaiah 11, where it described what that time and that state in the future would be like. It's got some wonderful imagery. This is what one of the passages says. In that time, in the age to come, in that eternal life, that kind of life, that kingdom life, the wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling all together and they won't eat one another. (laughs) And a little child will be able to lead them because there'll be this time of peacefulness. How beautiful is that image? And they long for the day in which God's presence will fill the earth just like the waters cover the sea. And like any faction in any group, though, there was one part of the group who said, I'm going to take that up by might. I'm going to bring about God's kingdom through the wielding of a sword. And there was another group of the Pharisees who said, well, we're going to just let God do his thing. And so Nicodemus is asking Jesus a question. And Jesus answers it in a rather curious way. He said, Nicodemus, you do all this activity. You're doing these various things to separate yourselves. But I want to tell you something deeper about the way in which God works. The truth is this. You long for his kingdom to come. But I want you to know this, that his kingdom doesn't come in the way in which you would anticipate or expect. In fact, you need to be born again. This word is curious because it can mean two things. Being born again like another event or or being born, the, the word is from above, from where God dwells. Maybe both of these things are in play. The idea that it's not something that you can do yourself, it's something that God does. And Nicodemus, hearing these words, he replies to Jesus and and he says, How on earth can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? (laughs) Now I've been present at the three births of my children. All right. I know this is dangerous ground right now, so just so you know, there is no disclosure of anything. However, there was one who came over a long period of time. There was another who came in a hurry. And there was another one who came somewhere in the middle. And every time I was there present at those events, my respect for my wife just grew exponentially. And there was also coupled with a little bit of responsibility and guilt that I was party to all of this that was happening as well. But Clearly, Jesus was not talking about this kind of birth. And so he presses further into this conversation and he says this, I assure you, Nicodemus, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Some of the ancient spokespeople for Israel had said, The way in which God is going to fix this world is that he needs to do something with the human heart. Why is it that the people that follow him always keep on getting off course, chasing after all the other gods and goddesses, doing their own thing, taking when they should be receiving? And so they came to the conclusion that it's something inwardly within human beings that needs to be changed. And so the imagery that came with it, as the prophet Ezekiel said, is that there needs to be an inner cleansing. If you are going to come close and inhabit life with God... Because he is so 
good and because he was so right and because he is so just, when you come into his proximity, all of those injustices and ingoodnesses and if you like mortality things that you experience are just shown up. So there needs to be an inner cleansing, a washing, and God will do that. That's fundamentally what baptism is about. This identification with God and that he has washed you from the inside out because of what Jesus has done. By the way, if you're here this morning and you would like to be, but you just can't see yourself in the ocean or maybe in the Yarra River, well, we've got another means. We have a tub and it's going to be in the courtyard and it starts as soon as next week. And so if you would like to and you haven't yet and that's an option for you, next week out in the courtyard, let's go. So the first one was being washed. He said the second thing was, is that it's something that you can't do physically. It's something that only God can do by His Spirit. It's not something that you can manipulate, control, bring about under your own steam. It's something that God fundamentally does by His Spirit, representative, if you like, of a dove. It's not something you do with your hands here. It's something that God does in your heart here. And then He does this curious thing. He says, humans can only reproduce human life. But Nicodemus, I need you to understand something fundamental about God is that only the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. And then Jesus reaches for a meteorological phenomenon. He says, I want you to imagine that you're outside and the wind is blowing. You know that, Nicodemus. He said, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. The curious thing here is that in this language, wind and spirit are the same word. He says, you remember you're outside, the wind's blowing. You might know it comes from that direction, but you don't know. We don't know where it starts from. And if you were to ask the wind, where are you going? You might, you might even know where it's going to finish up. But sometimes you can hear it, right, Nicodemus? You hear it blowing through the, the trees and you hear that sound, that kind of action, that activity. Well, that's exactly what it's like when God comes and breathes his life and his wind into people's lives. That's what happens. You hear it. <laughs> I was getting my hair cut on Friday. And I've been going to... Thank you. No, you don't need to do any critiques. I put this silver stuff in it. Did you know that? Um, my hairdresser and I have this ongoing conversation. We call it platinum blonde. I said, can you just keep on putting platinum blonde in? Yeah. So she's been doing that for some years now. I enjoy it. Um, and, and she's a uh, Greek, Greek family. And so we, we often talk about uh, our, our work and sometimes faith things and whatnot. And she said to me, okay, so what have you been doing today? I said, look, normally I like to have my Fridays off, but today I've been working on my talk for Sunday. She said, oh, really? Okay, so what are you talking about on Sunday? I said, well, interestingly, I'm, having a, I'm, I'm talking about a conversation Jesus had with a guy called Nicodemus. You know, like Nikos, you know, Nikos. You know. So, oh, yeah, yeah, I get that, yeah. <laughs> and, and she said, so what... what what was he talking about? And I said, he's actually talking about how do you begin with God? She said, oh, that's really interesting. Um, well, what did he say? I said, well, interesting. He said, um, I've got to remember, what, what, what does he say? Um, he said, uh, 
Well, he kind of came to him and Jesus said that you actually, it's something that you can't do. It's something that actually God does inside of you. Um, and then he described this thing about wind blowing and you hear the effect of it and, and, and that kind of stuff. And she said, oh, really? That's really interesting. Um, so I was born into a, a Greek family, Greek Orthodox family, and like we just inherited those things. Right? And I said, yeah, actually, that was probably the same as Nikos. Um, he, just being a Jewish person, would have thought, I'm inheriting the kingdom of heaven and that's just coming my way and... and that, that's just an understanding I have because of my parents and my parents' parents and, and all that kind of thing. I said, but Jesus didn't answer that way. He actually answered differently. He said, it's something not that, that you can do. It's something that God does. He starts it. And, and she said to me, oh, really? How? I said, I don't know. I have no idea. But I said this to her. Tell you what. Why don't you grab your Bible on Sunday morning, 10 o'clock, that's when we meet. Go to John chapter 3, and let's do church together. That's what I said. So next time I go and get my hair cut, we'll have a chat. But I did say to her, I said, actually, there comes a stage in your life where it's, it's not on the basis of what you inherited, or what mum and dad, or anything like that. It's a time when you say to Jesus yourself, I want you. I need you. I want to follow you myself. It's as though you have to open your hand to him. Ah, oh, there was a lean-in moment. That's exactly what Nicodemus was asking too. And he turns to Nicodemus and Jesus says, but if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? Because Nicodemus, you're thinking just in terms of an event. Someone's born and it's not that way. I'm telling you it's something different. And you need to understand that I'm the one who's ascended and descended. And so I know these things and what I'm talking about. And then he, he actually rifles in something from the, the past. He says, remember Moses? How there was that time where the Israelites were going through the, the wilderness and those snakes were biting and they were, they were, they were killing people. And, and how Moses acted quickly. He put up on a pole this bronze serpent. Everyone who looked at that, um, God did miraculous things and rescued people. He said, speaking of the Son of Man, which was himself, he said, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be lifted up and for all those who believe in me. And then John writes... Perhaps the most powerful phrase that summarizes what Jesus is talking about and what God has done in the next verses, in the next lines. And this is what he writes. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that anyone and everyone who believes in him will not lead a perishing kind of life apart from him and in the age to come. But will have eternal life, life now, life in the age to come. Do not have to fear death with him. And I wonder what Nicodemus did just in that moment if he just paused. and Because Jesus turns to him and says, you're a leader and a teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things. This is, this is how God works. 
The curious thing I find about this particular passage is that we often think that the opposite of control is trust. Because if someone really believed that and someone really understood that Jesus gave himself for, then one of the, the natural questions that I would ask is, well, what's preventing you from opening your hand to God if this is really what he's like? That the God and the creator of the universe can most profoundly be understood as loving the world. Jesus said, I haven't come to condemn the world. I've come to rescue it. I haven't come wagging my finger or pointing. I've actually come with my hands open. And the most profound thing you can understand about this God who made everything is that he loves. How do I know that he loves? Because he gives. He's not a taking God. He's not a manipulating God. He's not a controlling God. He's an open-handed, loving God. And this is the most profound way you can know this. is because he gives so that anyone and everyone. So I ask myself, if that is true and I believed it, what might prevent anyone from opening their hand to him? Well, there's a number of things, aren't there? If you've learned to mistrust people, there's been broken trust. That's one. What about if you're curiously going, to, can I trust the Bible? Can I trust Jesus? Is your truth truthful? That's another. But often the opposite we talk about when it comes to control, that is relinquishing, if like trust to Jesus in my own life, is often the anecdote to control is not trust, but I think the Bible points somewhere deeper that my ability to trust is on the basis of understanding God's love. Do you know what I'm saying? In my life, when I know, and I wonder if this is true of you, if you know that someone has your back, who loves you, come what may, even if you don't know the way ahead, and even if there might be bumps in the road, and even if you can't make quite sense of it all, that you're willing and prepared to trust that other person on the basis of you know that they love you, right? And that's exactly where Jesus goes in the writer of the Good news account, John goes, he says, I want you to know something that before trust can really happen, there's an understanding of God's love for you. During the course of the week here routinely in these rooms right here, we have an immunization that happens that the council runs here. So we hear noises blowing in the wind all the time. And sometimes they're noises from the infants and sometimes they're the noises from the parents <laughs> who are seeing their infant in distress and they're trying to comfort. But you also hear the parents as they're walking in, holding tightly, reassuring and loving on their infant. They know that they're going to experience a moment of pain. They believe it's for their good. And so they allow that to happen. But they hold them tight. They love them the same. And they reassure them. I wonder in those moments if the infant senses that love and trusts. And then comes the trick moment, right? You did this to me and you love me. <laughs> but it's on the basis of that, isn't it? You see, someone enters into the kingdom of heaven, into God's life, when they open their hand to God on the basis of their perceived knowledge of his love for them. 
and you remain in the kingdom of heaven, even when life has got far more complex for you, when you continue despite sometimes the complexities and hardships, draw upon the knowledge that you are loved by God. Band's going to come up in a moment. Actually, come on up right now, guys. Because I wonder in this space if we might just pause for a moment and invite you to reconsider God's love for you. I was having a conversation with two men during the week. One said, you know what? I need to refresh my walk with God at this age and stage of life. I think that's a great thing. But I wonder if that would be on the basis of not necessarily repeating the same things that they have been doing, but in this age and stage of life, if it might be because you've said, actually, I want a different kind of walk with you. And God, I would really like to know your love for me in a fresh new way. I spoke to another gentleman who's experiencing a life change, career shift. And I said, you're going to need a new conversation with God. Not the one that's been the same one. How might you be opening your hand to him? And if that's you here this morning and listening online, I would invite you to make your goal this week to pause quietly, open your hands up and say, God, would you help me understand how much you love me? And then are there areas of my life that I need to relinquish control over and trust you in. Believing that if you really encounter God's love, that you will trust. Maybe you're here this morning and inherited, grown up in, never yourself. And you're like Nicodemus. And his response to you is, It's a God thing, but it begins when you place your belief in me. So just in this quiet space right now, if you would like to begin with God, I'm going to ask you to just open your hand where you are and say, I believe in you. I want to receive you. I can't control you but I want to follow you. And if you are here today and there's a season of life, a life change, and you need to make a commitment to say, I want to hear from you afresh and know your love deeper in my life so that I might remain in you in the midst of the complexities, then I would invite you to open up your hand. Make a commitment to make this your prayer this week, but right now I'll pray for you that that might be true for you. Let us pray. God, here in this place, for those that open their hand to you right now, I pray and ask that you might meet them. Pour forth your spirit into their life, your fresh wind, so that they might know you are with them. Fill them with your love afresh so that they might willingly follow. In Jesus' name, amen.